welcome to the StoryWorth podcast. We're glad you're here. I'm your host, Krista Baum, co-founder of StoryWorth. On this podcast, we feature true stories written by StoryWorth writers. If you're new to StoryWorth, we help people write their life stories, the big stories and the small ones. Once a week, we send our writers a question to help inspire their writing. They reply to the email with an answer or story that comes to mind. At the end of the year, we print what they've written into a beautiful keepsake book. Every story written using StoryWorth is private, but for this podcast, the writers volunteered to share their stories publicly with you. Today's story made me feel like a gawky tween all over again, with all of the thrill and awkwardness involved. In a few minutes, we'll chat with writer Carol Short about her story, First Kiss. But first, we're gonna hear her story read by voice actress Claire Staniforth as Carol answers the question, what was it like the first time you fell in love? For the purpose of this story, I'm going to redefine love as infatuation. Crazy, blind, head-spinning infatuation. The kind only a 13-year-old is capable of feeling. I think that most of the mystique of first love is due to the emotion being completely novel. Up till the point at which this story starts, my life had consisted of tree-climbing, swimming, and peanut butter sandwiches. At the time I fell in love, I was busy playing cricket with my brother. I bowled, he battered, always, and directing musical shows, starring my little sister and her friend William. That was about the extent of my contact with the opposite sex. For the most part, I hung out with other girls at the municipal swimming pool and bicycled around the neighborhood. And then I did something that was completely out of character. I joined the Junior Red Cross. This was mainly because I liked William's mother, Mrs. Rayner. She was also my mother's best friend, and my mother encouraged it. She taught us about first aid, and therein lay the drudgery, with stifled yawns, because I am not the medical type. I had to remember, step by step, how to bandage a wound and give CPR. At the end of the course, we got our junior first aid badge and certificate. I wasn't convinced that I deserved mine, but thankfully, I've never had to use it. Mrs. Rayner then told us that to celebrate our achievement, she would hold a party at her house, a noble gesture on her part. But she left the many details, including the guest list, to her teenage son, John, who took the liberty of inviting a lot more people than the Junior Red Cross kids. I will never forget that evening. It was held on the Rainer's veranda and had all the trappings of a first-rate party. John had procured a disco ball, but otherwise the room was still dreamily dark, the way kids like it, with silhouettes of lank-haired teenagers coming and going through the swinging door. I thrilled to the base of Steppenwolf throbbing through the house. Observing the social mores of the time, I took up residence against a wall, sipping on my Sparletta cream soda and giggling awkwardly alongside other junior Red Cross girls. As various motorbikes roared up to the house, 
I realized that Mrs. Rayner's celebration was evolving from a Red Cross party into a real party, and that the average age of the people on the veranda was edging up. Bodies lurched in rhythm to the doors. The rotating disco ball relentlessly flashed its points of light across the room while cigarette smoke curled over our heads. I was enthralled, feeling like I'd been given the grand invitation, the golden key to sit in the outer temple of adulthood. This indeed was a world of grown-ups. Here there was no peanut butter, no belly bombs off the diving board. The room got darker, the music got slower, and then came the ultimate slow dance song. Tommy James and the Shondells started singing. Everyone moved in. This was how a dance always graduated. Sweaty, to psychedelic, to cool, to slow. And we'd reached the slow. There was a tap on my shoulder. Would you like to dance? Everyone has to experience the firsts in life. First time taking a step, first time riding a bicycle, first time sleeping over at a friend's house. But is there anything as exciting, as heart-exploding in chest thrilling, as being asked to dance for the first time? My childhood had just crossed the Rubicon, and here I stood in the heavenly, nail-bitten land of adolescence. Uh, okay. So I moved into his arms shuffling to Crimson and Clover's slide guitar. We danced like that, mutely back and forth, back and forth, until the song ended. And then the second miracle came to pass. He didn't let go. What? Could this really be a second song? This time, he asked me my name. And when I asked him his, he told me it was Graham. I realized that it was still in his cricket whites and blue school jersey, which he then offered me when I started to turn cold. I don't know if Graham smoked. I wouldn't have been surprised if he did. Many Zimbabwean schoolboys did. But what I do know is that his jersey was the most intoxicating mix of smoke and aftershave. It was a fragrance that stayed with me for the next year. Finally, Mrs. Rayner started to make her presence felt as she walked around purposefully picking up ashtrays on the veranda. Time to say goodnight. Graham leaned in for a kiss. And that just served to seal my newfound passion. All of this attention and romance had left my teenage head giddy. The dance, the bewitching smell of his clothes, his kiss, oh my. But the piece de resistance was unexpectedly served up the next day when I told my brother, Neville, about the party. Graham, you say he plays cricket? He's in Form 4 and part of the first Cricket 11. That's the varsity team for American listeners. You were with him. 
Oh my goodness, I'd not only snagged someone from the first cricket team, but I'd actually moved up a notch in my brother's estimation from a squack, as he used to call me, to someone who could get the attention of an older primo school athlete. With that, my smitten state hardened and an infatuation that lasted for something like a year, way beyond what it should have. I would write notes that ended up crumpled and forlorn in the wastebasket, hide in the bushes with my friend Hazel to catch a glimpse of Graham as he walked home, walk a certain way to class in the hopes of passing him. And really, the crush lasted as long as it did only because there was nothing and nobody to take its place. It filled my teenage dreams with the right kind of fantasy to see me through my dreary young school days. Then, one day, out of the blue, that convoluted crush imploded. I saw Graham walking over the cricket oval with Angela, another fourth former. In a way, it was a relief. This unrequited love was taking up a lot of energy and I was ready to get back to swimming with my friends at the local pool. The smell of his jersey had faded and I was tired of thinking about his silly little baby face. His love with Angela, however, was the real thing. They wound up getting married and they're now living in Portland, Oregon. When I learned, via Facebook, that he is a banker. My reaction was similar to that of the junior Red Cross lessons. I had to stifle a yawn. Turns out I was made for other things. I'm Carol Short, and I actually live in Ojai, California. I've been here for about 35 years now. And my Zimbabwean background still makes itself felt through my accent, which has never disappeared. And I, I don't know why. It's not that I've tried to hold on to my accent, but it's just stuck. Carol, thank you so much for joining us today. I loved reading your story. I loved how honest it was. And I very much felt like a tween again. I'm wondering, from your current perspective, how would you describe yourself at the time this story took place? I was 12 when this first kiss happened. <laughs> and I think I was so young and so incredibly naive and really not knowing what I was doing that I, th I think it, it really kind of got into my head. And as I explained in the story, you know, it, the silly infatuation lasted for a year. I was just sort of absolutely infatuated with this boy. Okay, Carol, I have to ask, how was the kiss? Oh my goodness. I thought, I, I, I honestly felt like I was immediately transported into this incredible kind of nirvana. I had never had such a thing. You know, the most I'd ever had was a sort of a, a hug from my parents or a kiss, you know, on the cheek. But this was something completely different. It was a very sensory thing because there was the music going and there was the smell of his sweater. It was sort of dark with, 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 with this disco ball. And so it was so, so thrilling. That kiss was hard to forget. It was 
even more thrilling when I found out that he was a good three years older than me and he was an athlete. So I didn't know that I'd struck gold. My brother was very impressed. So everybody remembers their first kiss. It's a massive coming of age milestone and everyone remembers it forever. Now, would you say that this kiss began a new chapter of your life? In a sense, I really did feel that I had kind of uh, crossed that threshold into adulthood, whatever that is, or adolescence. And it did actually, with some not so great consequences. For example, I uh, was a a swimmer for the the high school team. And then uh, by my second year of high school, I took up smoking, which was, I mean, I cannot believe I did that. But so then I wanted to quit the swimming team. So I I was definitely of a mindset that wanted to leave my childhood behind. I think that that party was a little marker in me wanting to not be such a child. So, Carol, clearly you look back at this era of your life fondly, despite some of its awkwardness. Why do you think that is? Well, uh, that was because um, I ultimately became a teacher. What did you teach? Language arts to eighth grade. Oh, great. I found that that is my sweet spot. I absolutely love that age. And maybe it's because I remember it so well. Voice is... I think the most essential thing, that was one of the prime sort of drivers of my writing lessons was the voice and encouraging uh, kids to find that voice because that's in a sense what comes through on paper. You paint a really vivid picture of this time in your childhood. Did your children know much about your childhood in Zimbabwe before you began writing with StoryWorth? There were some of these uh, stories that have kind of become, you know, family lore, L-O-R-E, you know, uh, but there were some that they hadn't heard. As a parent, I feel that sometimes your kids can sort of put you in a mom box, you know, this is mom. And I kind of wanted to break out of that box and sort of show them that I am definitely three-dimensional and that I had a past too, that I have stories that, that they may or may not have heard. And, and I, I think that it helps the kids to get a more f- sort of fuller idea of who you really are in, instead of just, you know, just this nice cozy mom. It's, it's almost uh, daunting to share this with your own children, but it's been, for them, some of it's been quite a, a revelation, some of these stories. I think, you know, you gave me this gift, so... I'm going to know. (laughs) You want to know, I'll tell you. You chose to share your stories with your children and your siblings. How did your brother and sister react to your stories? Actually, every single week when I sent the story, if it was about my childhood and it was about our family, the invariable response to that was how they experienced it or how they remembered. I talked about, there was one where I talked about my mother tucking me in. It was a, well, it was, I mean, it was just a small little detail, but they came up with their own memories of my mother tucking them in. And it was, it's, so I think these stories can be very evocative because the, the family all responds in their own way. They, it evokes memories for them because they feel like I told stories that they haven't thought about in years. And I'm bringing up, you know, these, these little gems of family memories that, were meaningful to them too. Thanks for joining us today. 
If you want to get started writing your life stories or want to give the gift of StoryWorth to a loved one, head over to storyworth.com slash podcast. In our next episode, a tale of a sunset horseback ride gone wrong and the bravest thing our writer ever had to do. StoryWorth is a production of Evergreen Podcasts, hosted by me, Krista Baum, and produced by Hannah Ray Leach. We get production help from Jill Granberg, and our mix engineer is Eric Coltnow. Original music in this episode is by Josh Perlman Hall. We'll see you next time.